everyone and welcome to another exciting episode of battle of the atom this is of course the weekly x-men podcast where we take a couple x-men stories a couple plus one a couple and a half uh 150 percent of a couple and we talk about them rank them and figure out what's the best x-men story of all time followed by the second best and so on and so forth at infinitum and i said we a lot but i'm zach jenkins and my co-host is adam rack he's the other part of this we adam how you doing I'm good. Um, these are going to be interesting because I don't know, especially the first one. We've been talking about the best X-Men stories of all time, but I don't know. Is this even a story? Could we call it a story? But it was a request, so we got to do it. Yeah, let's talk about the fact that it was a request first. Uh, this was a request by James Lehman. Now, you may be asking yourself, what did James do to not only get a request, but to get his request crafted into an entire episode of Bow the Atom? Well, dear listeners, listeners, you guys are listeners. Uh, what James did is he went over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files and he tossed in two bucks and or more. I don't remember what everyone pays, but I love you all equally. Anyway, he went over to patreon.com and he made a request and now it's here. And you can do that too, but we'll give you all those links later. Uh, but thank you, James. So what did James request? Because this is an odd one. Well, yeah, so James requested something that, according to the U.S. Postal Service and Marvel, is a comic book, but it's also spiral-bound and mostly prose with art and descriptions. It is 1993's X-Men Survival Guide to the Mansion. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was written by Scott Lobdell, so a you know a comic book boy, professional comedian Scott Lobdell, uh, penciled by Elliot Brown and Wills Portacio, with colors by Joe Rosas. Wow, this is something, man. This is really something. So can I can I tell a brief brief historical story about this? Yes, please do. So every year in my area in South Central Ohio, Southwest Ohio, whatever, Dayton, friggin' in Dayton, there is a comic shop between Christmas and New Year's that says, hey, we got to get rid of a lot of long boxes. So they just, they have a mini con, it's all free, and it's just a huge sale. It's like a half long box or a short box for 50 bucks. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, me too. First comic I picked up this year was this, and I only picked it up because it was spiral bound. I didn't know it was X-Men. So it had me immediately at the presentation. Picked it up, saw it was X-Men, didn't even flip. I said, yep, this is worth what will come down to like 12 cents. It was uh, water damaged, but I think it makes it better because this is the kind of book a kid would get super water damaged and never get rid of. It is such an artifact of its time uh, for a wide variety of reasons. So um, I could see somebody really treasuring this, but it is 
I mean, taken on its own merit, it is a very strange object um, that is just about as 90s as it can get. Yeah, let's describe. Adam, what actually is this? Because we've talked around it like we know what it is because we do. But I'm not sure our listening audience will. I think a good question to start off with and talking about this is, um, is the X-Men Survival Guide to the Mansion supposed to be a diegetic element of the Marvel Universe? And what I mean by that is, if I'm a new student at Xavier's, I've I've just enrolled, Professor Xavier has figured out that I have powers and wants to you know enlist me into his child army. Uh, I show up at Westminster, Westminster, sorry, uh, yeah, Westchester, and I'm, am I handed this as my introduction? Because it seems like that when you open the spiral bound, there's a letter to you from Professor X, uh, and it says, dear student, and you're getting an introduction about, you know, welcome mm-hmm. to the X-Men. Um, flip to the table of contents. Here's an exterior shot of, of the mansion. But wow, like we go from there to like a couple pages in spacesuits. They're spacesuits. They're <laughs> space very spacesuits. Space yeah, it's like a very weird mishmash of stuff from page to page that is not a very good introduction to what X Men is all about. I would even say so. It's really this is um, this is an oddball thing because I don't think it would be a good useful tool for someone who is actually coming to stay at the X Mansion. Would you agree with that? It would be very difficult. Uh, because so what, what this ends up being, it's a lot of diagrams and like blueprints and pencil sketches with little blurbs and descriptions about the X mansion. Just, Hey, look, this is what the danger room is. This is what the war room is. Here's all of the X-Men security. Have you heard about Cerebro? Well, this is it. And it's, it's peppered in with some really interesting and nice art that I like. I do genuinely enjoy. There's some what are nice, fun little pinups in this, more or less. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's it's this odd piece of like, you you know how there's a joke within Star Wars fandom, and this would be in like the Legends canon for people who are getting real too into this about how every minor background character's pieces of clothes in Star Wars has an origin story. Like there's. You can go on Wikipedia, <laughs> greatest name in all of wikis, by the way. Wikipedia was one of the first ones, and they got it right on the money. Perfect. Uh, but, you know, you can find, hey, what is all of the details behind uh, Chewbacca's bowcaster, or Numa Nub, the uh, guy who co-pilots with Lando Calrissian in uh, the attack on the second Death Star? Yeah, it has... It has that feel to it because there are all of these architectural diagrams, blueprints, cutaways, um, and then they're paired with sort of a, a you know, a smattering of different, uh, like you said, pinup articles. There's, you know, diagrams of the Blackbird. There's diagrams of, of the mansion. Um, so it does, you know, Star Wars does a lot of these books where it's cutaway diagrams and you get to see all of the little pieces and things. And I got to say, personally, like those kind of things never really interested me. I don't know why. Really? I, I, I guess, like, I don't operate with an engineering state of mind usually. Mm-hmm. So, um, however, I think there's some cool things to be gleaned from this. Uh, however, I, Zach, have you ever seen Reality Bites? This is not something I am familiar with, no. 
Oh, okay. Um, if you ever get a chance, there's this really great 90s movie called Reality Bites, Winona Ryder, Ethan Hawke. It's fantastic. So in the movie, Winona Ryder is making a documentary about her friends. And it's sort of about what the zeitgeist of the 90s is all about. She starts dating Ben Stiller, who's also the director of the film, okay. um, who decides that he is going to uh, release this documentary on his like hip cutting edge network. And it's it's basically a you know a metaphor for MTV, um, early '90s MTV. So what he does is he takes the documentary, hands it off to their editors, and they sort of remix her documentary. And so instead of it being this like frontline style thing, it's now this very hip, cool Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, you know, neon shapes spinning all over the place, characters repeating themselves. And I couldn't help but think of that scene where she sees that as I look through this book, because this book has so many hallmarks of early nineties, awful graphic design. There are things in here that are illegible. There are things in here that are clearly taken from sketchbooks that have handwriting in it that like, you really got to hold this thing up to your face to be like, what does that say? And why does it say that? And there are other things in here that just don't make any sense. You know, like, if we're saying that Xavier's ready room is the most secretive place in the entire mansion, why is it in this book? You know, like there are lots of little details like that that do not make sense as you go through here. And it's displayed in this very kind of garish way in a lot of pages that, um, ooh, you know, I'm just looking at some of the color combinations on here. And it's like it's like a color blindness test. This is a difficult book to read from a physics standpoint and a yeah. optics and how words look. Mm-hmm. That is really true. But I do want to move back to something you had said uh, originally because it, it resonates with me. You said, you know, all those cutaways and diagrams and stuff never hit with you because you never had that, you know, engineering technical mindset. I mean, like my day job's an engineer. I was so going to say, you probably love that. Ten-year-old me absolutely adored those kind of things like i have over on my shelf and i've talked about it several times in the past uh the dk ultimate guide to the x-men which was this big kids picture book uh, that had all these diagrams and blurbs about different x-men characters and all of that and i adored that thing i ripped it to shreds i loved reading it so much i had the first edition by the way which stops right before grant morrison's run which is why in my mind I have a very clear delineation of old X-Men versus new X-Men and new X-Men starts with new X-Men. Yeah, it makes sense. Right. But like that was another thing that has a bunch of diagrams and all this stuff. And since it's from DK and for small children, it was more or less well laid out and clean and easy to read where this is absolutely not. Like no. there's some, there's some fun little blurbs about, the just silly quote unquote technical specs of the X mansion, like how they have the latest video games imported to them from like the Shi'ar empire by Lila Cheney. Yep. And, and it, all... looks like a, it looks like a, like a NASA uh, spinny orb space tester thing <laughs> where you're just always circling around in like gyroscopic motion mixed with the VR system. And I'm just sitting there like, guys, this is 1993, so like Super Mario World's about as good as it gets. <laughs> what are you doing? 
Yeah, but for them, it's like lawnmower man. We got to <laughs> strap the guy into the gyroscope. There's another point where I think it's in the Forge's notebook where there's a reference to a 32-bit display. And Which it just dates high, the, high quality. It, it dates the book so much. Like this is such a product of its time. Um, you know that this is early 90s. And the, the one other thing, and this is endemic to things like this. The layout of the X-Mansion is not a known entity, and nor should it be. Hmm. It should never actually make sense, because the layout of the X-Mansion needs to specifically be the best layout for the plot at that given moment. It doesn't. You don't need to say, well, the girls' dorms are over here, and the boys' dorms are over here, and Cerebro's over under the boys' dorm, but the danger room's under the girls' dorm, because sometimes you want the boys' dorm to get into a fight, and they drop down into the danger room. And that's just what you want to do and forget, you know, dumb continuity on that stuff. You make it work for your plot. So trying to lay out and say this is exactly what it is, you're just setting yourself up to be um, actually the moment you do literally anything. Well, I think that's the big difference between a, a publication like this and something you might see in a Star Wars cutaway, because from the beginning... Well, maybe not from like the very first Star Wars movie, but once Star Wars became this thing that needed to have so much canonical continuity, um, it was important that those cutaways were consistent and that they made sense and that things that were later added to them or adjusted about them fit in with what had already been described and what had already been designed. We're not in that you know area with this. There's really no single X story where we get a definitive answer about what this is. This is sort of an amalgam of what all of the different areas of the mansion look like or could be. And it's put into a systematic order, but you're right. Like no ex author should, or, or artist should feel beholden to this, no. you know? Um, and that's why the usefulness of something like this is really kind of up in the air. Yeah. This, this sure is a thing. If you, if you see it, by the way, like this, we're going to rank this in a second. It's not going to rank high. If you see this, go pick this thing up. Like, you'll love oh, yeah. flipping through it like once. And then going back when you're saying, oh, shoot, I know someone has this really cool, like, hand-drawn schematic of the Blackbird. And I'd love to, you know, pull that up and see it. But beyond that, there's not a huge amount of value here. It's an artifact. No, it's, it's a fun... Yeah, it's a fun cultural artifact. If you like early 90s X-Men, you'll get a kick out of it. Uh, and that's about where it stops. All right. So we have 111 stories on this list. Nice. That, wait. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. That's divisible by three. It gets real confusing once you get too high. It's okay. I'm <laughs> Again, I'm an engineer. I'm great at math. Don't worry about any of your stuff messing up because of my calculations, everyone. Uh, but... <laughs> Number one story on our list that we calculated is Days of Future Past, and number 111 is The Draco. I don't mm -hmm. think this is going to go high, but I don't think it's, like, the worst thing in the world, because I don't think this is, like, a bad X-Men thing. It's not a story. Yeah, and I, I think for it to go super low on our list, it would have to start to offend us, and it definitely doesn't do that. I think it may begin to offend my eyeballs in a certain way and just the way like i mentioned with the graphic design but certainly not in the way that some of these stories we have at the bottom of our list do yeah 
what what I'm kind of thinking on this one of the thing the one of the other stories that we had talked about as being a cultural artifact was X Men Heroes for Hope, mm-hmm. which I think is very similar in a you've got to find this like you see this and you've not read it pick it up pick it up right now yeah don't even question mm-hmm. it pay less than three dollars for it but pick it up uh, <laughs> but I think Heroes for Hope on the basis of being a story that Stephen King wrote. Is better. I, I would agree with that 100%. And uh, I think this may have some more interest to it than what's below that on the list, like X-Men Mongaverse or uh, the life signs component of Phalanx Covenant. Yeah, well, so, that's actually where I was looking right now because you're saying offends your eyes and all this from an aesthetic standpoint. Right. It's probably just as bad as Mongaverse. Yeah, I think they're, you know, in the same realm of like, oh, what am I looking at here? What are my eyes beholding? Um, so do you think it's better or worse than Mangaverse? Mangaverse, I think they look just as bad in parts. But Mangaverse <laughs> is, again, like a semi-coherent story where this is inane ramblings. Right, right. Much like our podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, so- I, I would personally slotted in as our new 103 right above that uh life signs x caliber x force x factor part of phalanx covenant all right let's do that that sounds perfect perfect our new number 103 is x-men survival guide to the mansion thanks for that james that was sure something (laughs) well and it 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 works really well with uh especially the next thing we're going to talk about it's like we Uh, plan things so i think the next thing we're talking about is actually the first reprint we've ever talked about on this Mm -hmm. but this isn't from classic x-men so don't even get your hopes up people mostly because (laughs) i'm still waiting for that omnibus i don't have it i'm not sure if i want to buy it but i can internet library loan it and get like super into it but there was a six-month waiting period on new books and that's about now so well and it looks like they're doing paperback of oh yeah shoot that's what i was gonna buy that's yeah yeah hmm. i'm not gonna i'm not gonna spend a hundred plus dollars on backup stories but i'll sure spend 30 they are really good backup stories in some cases so folks if anybody wants us to touch those i i've always had a fondness for the uh john bolton vignettes um i'm sorry we're getting off base this is not classic x-men what is this this is special edition X-Men number one. Do you know about this? You might not. This is a reprint of Giant Size X-Men number one. Because remember, this is in a pre-trade paperback day, a pre-Marvel Unlimited day. So Giant Size was something you either, to read it, you had to just have it. And X-Men in 1983 were just absolutely huge. So you had so many people who wanted to read this classic story that they'd heard so much about that turned this you know c-list team that had had their book canceled and was on reprints for years into the driving force of comics as an industry Mm -hmm. so they reprinted that and giant size x-men is literally just as good every time you read it that's why it is our number 33 on this list but we're not going to talk about that component of this book really why because well we (laughs) already read it And you can go listen to that episode. Uh, But we are going to talk about a backup story that's in here. That's a pretty substantial one. This is Mm -hmm. called A Day Like Any Other, uh, written by Chris Claremont and penciled by Dave Cockrum with inks by Hilary Barta 
and Colors by Andy Yanukis. I got excited because Claremont and Cockrum said, oh, yeah, let's just let's do another story to add to Giant Size. And it's a weird one. Yeah, because it's essentially the uh, survival guide to the mansion, but it's Kitty giving a tour to Ileana. (laughs) And I got to say, if I have my choice between reading the survival guide um, and taking my chances with getting around the building with even with the cutaways, I think I'm going to prefer to use the tour guide of Kitty Pride to get me around because this is a really nice walking tour of the building that I think you mentioned before, like it's not beholden to any architectural plan. We still get to all of the places and landmarks that we might want, but it's done in a pretty straightforward tour guide style way. And I think it works. Well, can I tell you the one part of this that I love the most? Yeah. That it goes to each X-Men's individual room, but (laughs) they Mm -hmm. go to all the X-Men's room and at most it's two panels, I think in the case of storm, but everyone else gets like, one horizontal panel on like a five panel page. And just from what Cockrum does to design their room, it really informs the characters and speaks just a monumental amount to them. Uh, It also gives Nightcrawler a pet pterodactyl named Colonel (laughs) Pterodactyly. Yeah, that's uh, that's one that I thought was a little bit strange. Um, Wasn't really sure where that came from the savage land it came from the savage savage land yes of course customs might have something to say about that Uh, as a guy who just spent a lot of time in customs (laughs) yesterday yeah they uh they would not be thrilled you're gonna have to get that uh you know global entry and try and sneak that bad boy in (laughs) um maybe it's a service pterodactyl i don't know it's uh (laughs) <laughs> what service could a pterodactyl provide? I have no idea, but why would why would Nightcrawler want to keep a pterodactyl in a birdcage? It just seems mean. Because, I don't know. Adam, because, hold on, one, let's be clear, Colonel Pterodactyl is a small pterodactyl. Yeah, that is true. He's maybe, that is true. He's, he's, he's like he's the size of a sparrow. Yeah, sparrow, cockatiel kind of size. Uh, so a birdcage seems like an appropriate environment for it. Mm-hmm. That said, Kurt wants to be a pirate. Yes. That's that's canon. That's not a negotiable. But what's the only thing cooler than having a parrot on your shoulder? It's having a dinosaur parrot on your shoulder, which I like that. I like to believe that Claremont was setting that up and then he was like, "Oh, wait. Lockheed. That's a better thing." Well, and I'm so glad that you're you're honing in on these room designs because we start um, in the danger room and there's a very intelligent nod to like space travel. Um, we get that nod to the savage land and then the cultural artifacts in the different rooms. Um, we see Jean's room as being empty and no one really um, touched it. Yeah. There's a really adorable family photo of Corsair with havoc and Scott in Scott's room, um, along with a space shuttle, uh, there's, I, I love these little details that are throughout. They, they show you Kitty and Eliana's room and you mentioned Lockheed. It looks like, I guess from the ceiling, there is a purple dragon hanging from the ceiling and it's, I think it's supposed to be a toy. Um, but yeah, there's clearly some, some little foreshadowing here going as to when these characters are going to show up. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Uh, and then it pretty much all resolves by, 
Kitty and Ileana uh, running into all the X-Men who they thought were gone for the day, or at least Kitty did. But instead, them and the Star Jammers and the New Mutants were planning a surprise 14th birthday party for Kitty Pride, even though I'm pretty sure canonically she's had three of those. <laughs> yeah, they mention her age in the story. Um, there's also another part about, you know, Ileana's ill-defined, because I guess the Magic miniseries hadn't come out yet. So there's a little bit about, um, you know, her lost time in limbo. And uh, I don't know it's a, it's a good little um, introduction to the X universe. Like if you were picking this up and you were trying to get a window into what the books were like now and just, you know, try and get a primer of where they lived. It's a pretty cool story. It is. It actually functions like something I had ran into uh, earlier this week. Maybe I forget, maybe last week uh, in Marvel age, which I have been going through, on Twitter because I'm a sadist and also want to understand what they were promoting back in the eighties and nineties. Marvel age is great. Marvel age isn't bad. I don't know if it's good. There's fun stuff to be had there though. There is fun stuff to be had there. They also have the, the articles aren't hard hitting. They're the equivalent to a CBR article today. And I don't mean that as any shade, uh, just more in, they are fluff promotion pieces, which, fair i mean that's what the book was it was the equivalent of like previews or something today yeah yeah yeah. Uh, but they on their annuals did like one or two page things for each of their books that was just a hey here's a quick summary of what this book is and it reminds me a lot like that like you could pick give this to someone and say oh i'm interested in learning more about this (laughs) yeah and um, I will say there there is uh, one part of this story that I just think is um, had me scratching my head a little bit, and that is when Kitty has to take Ileana to the Blackbird. So she decides to take her underwater with one scuba tank, <laughs> and that's how they get to the Blackbird. Um, that just seems irresponsible, Kitty. Um, you know, especially I, when there was definitely another way to get there. They just didn't want to go around sure. the lake. I am sure. And, it, you know, it's a nice little visual component, but like, I, I can't imagine that either of you are certified to scuba dive yet to, uh, to share one scuba unit. So maybe there's not your no best way Leanne, There's no way uh, Ileana is. No, Kitty not a chance. Kitty is a very precocious uh, 13 and a half year old. <laughs> so who knows? Yeah. I am curious why this has not been like collected in any omnibuses or anything as far as I know. Like, this should be part of the X-Men, like, Claremont canon. This is hmm. Claremont and Cockrum doing an X-Men story set in an oddly specific time and continuity. Like, throw these 10 pages in an omnibus and say, hey, guys, check this out. This is a nice little hidden gem. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised. Because um, you're right. It is, uh, it's very much in continuity. And it's got a, a lot of little cool cameos and little... Um, you know, nods to what was going on in continuity at the time. Yeah, it's uh, it ain't bad. Where do you think it goes on our list, though? I know it's better than the survival guide to the mansion, because, again, it's a story and it's a story that Chris Claremont wrote with Dave Cockrum doing the art and it's X-Men. And those guys are notoriously good at that. Yeah, it's surprisingly fun to just kind of go on this tour with the two of them. Um, Reminded me a little bit of the uh, setup to the Nightcrawler mini where the two of them are messing around in the danger room. 
uh, and end up setting up a portal that he travels through. It very so, much feels like part of that. Yeah. So there's there's some fun to be had with this story. Um, but in terms of ranking it, I mean, it's certainly not super important, but it's done very, very well. Yeah, it's a it's a fun little fun little thing if you know what you're getting into. What do we got around on that list? I think my ceiling would be something like I think Brood Terrible and the Big Easy is better than this for sure. Okay. I, can I get don't behind that. I don't think it's worse than Quanin. The uh the Quanin story. Yeah, this is far more coherent than Quanin is. Uh so even that's... though we found Quanin to be Perhaps a little more coherent than an, an initial teenage read. Right. Yeah, so that that's between 82 and 88 on our list. So in that, we've got, you know, Brew Trouble and Big Easy at 82, the Jeff Parker Exiles, uh, the Phalanx Covenant, Cable, and Wolverine part, uh, Wolverine Volume 3, Number 6, the one with Naked Nightcrawler on the cover, uh, and the first issue of X-Men, and then uh, Uncanny X-Men Into the Void. Uh, the gold team, Mikhail, alternate reality, thingamajig. I, I'm going to keep this pretty easy. I think this is better than Jeff Parker's Exiles. I think this would make a good fit at 83. You think this is better than the Jeff Parker Exiles? I do. Okay. I mean, it's it's Claremont. Uh, it's Cockrum. It's fun. It's essentially, you know, classic X-Men. And uh, I don't know. I'll revisit Look, this. This is it's, this is cool. Yeah, it's not bad. People should find this one. Uh, so yeah. that'll that'll be our new number eighty three on this list. Uh, the backup story for special edition X Men. Nice. And now, Adam. And now, <laughs> the last story on our list. We could not find any more walking tours of the X Mansion. We didn't try that hard, but we also didn't find any others. Instead. We yeah, what what is this? Because this We've, is something that goes back to your to your youth, correct? This this is an important milestone for me. This is X Men Evolution number nine. It's called House Party. It came out in September of two thousand two, <laughs> and it is the last uh, comic in the X Men Evolution comic series. And it was one of the first comics I own, and I love it so much from a nostalgia point of view. <laughs> Uh, so let's let's start from the top on this one. Adam, your feelings on X-Men Evolution. Go. Show or comic? Show. Because I assume you didn't read the previous eight like issues leading up to this. No, I didn't even know that they made a nine-issue series about X-Men Evolution. I always liked the show. I, I thought it was fun. I thought it was a neat take. Um, and uh, I liked the character design. I, I, I don't know. I never had any negative feelings about X-Men Evolution. How about you? So X-Men Evolution came out when I was 10. So I got some feelings about this show. And most of those feelings are, I love it so much. It's got a rough first season that gets better near the end and has moments interspersed, mm -hmm. but it doesn't find its footing for a little bit. But from the second season onward, pretty much, it becomes a really fun show that does a lot of good stuff with almost re-envisioning the X-Men, but in a way that's so consistent with the you know, the classic teen superhero kind of vibe that the X-Men were originally going for. Uh, just using a more mm -hmm. well-known cast with like Nightcrawler and Rogue and things like that. 
it makes the smartest choice in the world and doesn't give us Teen Wolverine because no one wants that. Nobody wants. Nobody that. wants that. And it's just it's a fun series that means a lot to me. And this is one of the first comics I like legitimately bought. My grandma walked into this collectible store that had comics, which I am ninety nine percent sure has evolved into my current comic shop. I don't have a great comic shop. I'm going to be very honest. They are still mostly a sports <laughs> memorabilia or, uh, but okay, but uh, it's a hundred percent based on which comic shop is closest to the freeway. There's no no deeper logic to it. Uh, you got to go where you got to yeah, go. Yeah, right. Uh, but I picked up this in number eight, and I loved it. I loved it then. I can appreciate it now, even though I can see some flaws. This was written by Jay Faber, who did a lot of stuff with Generation X that I just read last week that's really good. I like his Generation X a lot more than like the Brian Wood and Warren Ellis and – uh, Larry Hama stuff. Yeah, you were very complimentary of that as you were going through it. Um, and I, I think some of that definitely overlaps with, uh, you know, the style and the approach that's being taken here. Because this isn't quite the cartoon. There's there's even a, a little difference in the way in which the, uh, you know, the, the characters are s- sticking to the designs. But, um, you know, it's they're, they're, they are a little off model. Um and uh, I think the premise behind this issue is fun um, that they're going to throw a house party while the X-Men are out of town, specifically Professor X. And they're really interested in keeping the uh, the kids who are in the Brotherhood out of the more secretive parts of the mansion, like the yeah. danger room, especially. It's, it's fun. I do want to speak to uh, J.J. Kirby's uh, pencils and inks on this. It's interesting. It's not my favorite. I would have actually... The rest of the series does a more on-model style that I think works better. But uh, J.J. Kirby is not afraid to go off-model to try and be more expressive in something that it's similar to how manga and anime can do that, but without really being like an Eastern style. It's just using some of those same tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's accurate. He he has some like interesting quirks about the way he draws these characters. Um, a lot of them are extremely skinny. Um, you know, for some reason, Cyclops is like got bulging veins on his arms for whatever reason. Um, it's a gigantic chain wallet, which just cracks me up. Well, it was 2002. That was just a thing. But but it's a very dynamic. Uh, cartoony style which uh, works pretty well for this story yeah it it just tells a short little story about the x-men having a house party accidentally though they somehow accidentally did hire a dj (laughs) with a professional sound system uh and the brotherhood crashes it now i can tell you because i doubt we're going to talk about x-men evolution in the next year or so so i'm fine with saying this now i love the brotherhood in the x-men evolution show yeah, they're fun. they're my favorite take on the Brotherhood, and the reason why is they aren't evil mutants. They're specifically not. They are like they're kids who have essentially been abandoned. They are the unprivileged mutants, where Xavier's kids are the ones living in a friggin' mansion. Mm-hmm. Like they live, they live in this boarded up house, being abused by Mystique and Magneto. And they're they're like decent kids. Like the end of the end of X Men Evolution does a flash into the future, and I think all of them end up like just joining Shield. 
because they aren't they aren't necessarily superheroes, but they they aren't bad people either. Yeah, if I remember correctly, it was always more that they were mischievous and that they were just trying to kind of like get on the nerves of the other characters than anything else. And that, that bleeds into the story because, you know, really they're just kind of poking their noses where it doesn't belong and they don't really understand why they're not allowed to. Yeah. It's, it's nice. It's a nice little story. There's a cute moment with professor X at the end where Cy- where Cyclops says, uh, professor, we had a big party and I'm totally going to take be a tattletale, but I'm taking all the responsibility for this. And then Professor is like, okay, thanks for telling me. I trust you guys more that you told me now. You're a good kid, Scott. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a nice moment. And it's funny because earlier in the story, um, I think Kitty says something like, I'm reading from the page here. Come on, Gene. You know, the professor never reads our minds. It's like against his principles. And I, I, I rolled so hard and I fell out of my chair. I, I was like, wow, this really is a take on the X-Men if they think that Professor X doesn't read their minds. My goodness. X-Men Evolution Professor X is not necessarily a jerk at all times. He's He is the Patrick Stewart ideal of Professor X. Yeah. He, he honestly is. He's not literally any other canonical version of the Professor. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a fun fun story it's honestly it's not even my favorite of this x-men evolution miniseries there's a fun morlock story there's a great new mutants uh story in there at issue seven that's a blast to read uh yeah but it's it's not bad i i still have a very fond place for this story in my heart I can see why. I mean, the one thing that I it was reminding me of as I was reading it was um, the New Mutant Slumber Party episode. And I do think that this yes. is a trope that could get revisited a little more often. Um, this idea of, you know, strangers in the X-Mansion. Because if you're an X-Man, the X-Mansion is just sort of like, hey, this is normal. This is where we go to school. But when you bring a stranger in, you're going into this like weaponized place that any little turn wrong turn around the building could really lead to your death. Um, and so with the X-Men and new mutants needing to stop them from going into certain areas, I think that that is a funny little conflict. Um, and this plays up on that in a smart way. X editors, let the X-Men have more slumber parties and more smooches. Yep. That's all we're asking is essentially turn every X-Men story into a teen drama. <laughs> like just, just give us that. All of the fans are craving for it. No one cares about Senor Hot Knives. We just want teens and their hijinks. So we're going to talk about Hot Claws? We're not going to talk about Hot Claws. I don't know if I have it in me. We're not going to, we're not <laughs> going to talk about Hot Claws all that much. Did oh, I, did, I really hope it's good. Did I, did I see <laughs> I that Charles Soule actually changed his Twitter handle to Hot Claws? Did I see that? No, his name's just Charles yeah. Soule. I think one of our mutuals changed their name to Hot Claws. Like Santa like, Claus? <laughs> yes, like Santa Claus, which is pretty funny. Also, don't Google hot claws. It's <laughs> a lot of stuff you're not going to be able to not see. Oh, God. Wow. <laughs> All right. So because... Why should we write the story yeah, that doesn't have hot so claws much, in it? Uh, this has so much nostalgic value to you. How high do you want to go on the list? It's not better than Spider-Man and the X-Men number one and two with the dinosaurs. Okay. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to cure cancer. He just wants to turn people into dinosaurs. Adam, it's very good. <laughs> um, is it better than 
brewed trouble in the Big Easy? Objectively, no. Right, he's, keeping not. It, he's keeping it real. All right, so how low do you go with this childhood favorite? It's definitely better than Extreme X-Men Expose. Yep. I think that that's definitely what I feel. Okay. Uh, all right. I think it's better than Quantum for sure. Okay. Is it better I than want, it, I, is it better than Into the Void? Adam, take the wheel. Adam, take the wheel. I can't. <laughs> I can't. All right. Why don't we squeeze it in between Into the Void and Quantum? Just so it has a nice, you know, secure space between some uh, some nineties nonsense. Does that feel okay to you? It honestly it feels about right. Okay. Into the Void has some good art and some just in decipherable everything else but yeah <laughs> x-men evolution number nine house party is our new number 89 on this list nice i was real worried that i was not going to be able to talk about all of these extreme makeover home edition stories but somehow <laughs> i pulled through and so did you and we found something to do so yeah, there's a lot of i hope everyone here. enjoyed it yes we hope you yeah. approve of our tour yeah, go go find these weird stories. This is like, look, you're listening to not the best X-Men podcast. Let's say that. We really like it and we try really hard, but let's be fair. Uh, which means you're listening to like two X-Men podcasts, which means you care about these obscure stories. That's right. So check them out. See if you can track any of this stuff down. It's weird and, uh, you know, you'll enjoy it. The Evolution one's on that app, so go uh, go search it. Uh, anyway, uh, thanks again to James Lehman for suggesting this. This turned into a very interesting episode. If you want to be like James or anyone else who's on that Patreon.com, go over to that Patreon.com slash Xavier Files. Pitch in some money if you want. It keeps things running. If you can't, you can't. I'm not that upset about it. Uh, but you can get an episode. I think our, I will say our next Opening for an episode is in September. Hui. Yeah, we got we got some plans. So Oof. get it in there. Get it in that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you can't support the show fiscally, which I get, maybe leave us a rating or review. We haven't got one of those in a while, and it's making me sad because I thrive on attention. <laughs> so uh beyond that if you want to feed my ego anymore please go over to twitter.com slash xavier files and that's where i talk about x-men stuff it's also part of my website which is xavierfiles.com that hosts this podcast has normally weekly articles about the x-men though i've been traveling and haven't written one for the last few weeks uh but that's that's starting back up like next week or this week as you listen to it so get excited and uh adam where can people find you online all right guys you can always follow me on twitter at arthur stacy and uh we're just wrapping up the search for bish and jubes over at adamreck.tumblr.com uh so the current story will end on june 18th um and i'll have pre-orders starting on the big cartel story uh big cartel store for um for zines um starting pretty soon so you know keep it locked i'll have that advertised on the on the Twitter and the Tumblr. I'm going to make it and real here. cheap. Um, just do $1 black and white copies. So if anybody wants a copy, uh, we want to make sure that gets in everybody's hands, but that'll be coming up soon. So keep your eyes peeled. So just, just if Adam hasn't pitched it to you enough, I'm just going to say one thing about this story because it's, it's been a treat. 
Adam has introduced the Siege Fabulous, <laughs> which is one of my favorite puns of all time. Thank you, Zach. I'm very proud of the Siege Fabulous. <laughs> I got so mad when I read it. I said, you're joking. This is too good. This is very good. It's also a Fallen Angel sequel, by the way. So, yeah. Yeah. And it'll it'll continue to be as it goes into its uh, into the next chapter. So stay tuned. This is this is Buck Wild. Next week on Battle of the Atom, we've got an exciting guest. Uh, and this isn't even going to be an interview, even though this is a person from the X-Men world. We got ourselves a one Mr. Chris Sims, right, co-writer of X-Men 92 and a guy who has a lot of experience ranking comic book stories. He's going to jump on here and talk to us about Murder World, Murder World, and Murder World. Nice. And I'm so excited for this. This is <laughs> this is going to be a fun one because I'm just going to spoil this for you. We're talking about them Pizza Hut X-Men stories. You know the ones that came in the Pizza Hut Kids Meals? <laughs> I know the ones. This is going to be exciting. Essentially, over the last few episodes, we're just digging into all the comics that Zach owned when he was 10. Nice. But until next time, this has been Bow the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!